Today's reading is Luke 2, verses 25 through 32. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was with him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have, been your salvation, have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. This is the word of the Lord. King's Quest students, first through fourth graders, you may head to the lobby and find your teachers. The rest of you may be seated. Good job. Oh. <laughs> well, good morning, Grace Long Beach. Yes, you're there. I appreciate it. <clears throat> All right. So I want, I would like you guys to imagine with me this morning. Imagine with me that somebody drops off a, a baby, a young child, to the church. Now, I know we have a lot of social workers. This is not real. This is hypothetical, all right? Like, mandated reporters, take a breath. Imagine with me that somebody drops off a baby to the church, and we have to decide who's going to care for the child. But here's the catch. You can only come up with fictional characters, all right? movie, TV show, comic book, who are you choosing? Who's mom gonna be? Who's dad gonna be? Who are the siblings, all right? Take a few moments, turn to the people around you, brainstorm, and then prepare, because you're gonna talk in church, and you're gonna, I'm gonna ask you guys, who, who's mom, and you're gonna shout out ideas? Who's dad, and you're gonna shout out ideas, all right? So, baby gets dropped off, fictional characters who will adopt this child, mom, dad, and siblings. 30 seconds, go. All right, about 15 more seconds. All right, now here comes the hard part. Let's see, let's see who's gonna be brave. 
Who, who, what, are, what are some moms? Who are some moms that you guys came up with? Gorilla mom from Tarzan, Marge Simpson. I love it. I can't hear you. Do it again. June Cleaver. Yes. The generations are already starting to emerge, right? We have June Cleaver and we have Marge Simpson. All right, who else? Somebody over here, a mom. Mary Poppins. Oh, yeah. Little House on the Prairie, mom. All right, what about some dads? Pedro. Oh, from The Last of Us. I haven't seen it. Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel. He's a real person, though. Which character? Fast and Furious. Two weeks in a row, Fast and Furious has appeared in the sermon. This is like earth shattering for grace. All right, what are some other dads? Huh? Superman. Yes. Atticus Finch, That's, that was my pick, Atticus Finch, Atticus Finch. All right, what about siblings? Who are good siblings? John Boy? Help me. Huh? The Waltons. I think when I was a kid, that was on Nick at Night. That's my only connection. John Boy, who else? Guardians of the Galaxy? Yes, that would be a fun and dangerous group of siblings. A- any other siblings? Huh? The Narnia kid. Yes, I love it. I love it. Uh, th- this is who I came up with real quick. Dad, Atticus Finch. Mom, because I wish she was my mom when I was a kid. No offense to like my, my biological mother. Uh, Claire Huxtable. She was incredible. Um, sister. Shuri from Black Panther and Wakanda Forever, because she loves her brother so much, and she's brilliant, and she can, like, kick butt, right? Uh, and then brother, has anyone watched Stranger Things? Okay, Jonathan Byers, like Will's big brother who's willing to go into the upside down to, like, get his brother back, right? Like, that, yeah, so, so this is, like, fun and silly and just, you know, imaginative, uh, but as I was thinking about what I'm tasked with preaching today, so, so here's the overview of the, the, the passages that we'll be looking at. Uh, Jesus is eight days old. He's named and circumcised. Fast forward, he goes to the temple. His parents present him. Mary does the purification rites. They meet Anna and Simeon, these older people who are devout and full of the spirit, who speak words of prophecy over him. Fast forward, we learn that the the family, Mary and Joseph and Jesus, and presumably his siblings, every year go to Jerusalem for Passover, and when he's 12, he stays in the temple and asks questions of the religious leaders that fill them with awe and wonder. Mary and Joseph have this like home alone moment where they've left for three days and realize they left Jesus in Jerusalem. So if you feel like a bad parent, you're okay, as long as you haven't left your kid somewhere for three days, Uh, and, and then they go back and find him. So now, as a preacher, my brain starts going like, okay, what did the original text mean to the original audience? Um, How do we make sense of these different snapshots in a coherent way? And then what in the world could this mean for us today in 2023 in Long Beach, California? Like, how does this matter at all with these three very different scenes from Jesus's childhood? And one of the things that occurred to me as, as people who have moved from a different place and would love to find consistent babysitters, <laughs> is who did God choose to trust his kid with? Who, 
Would God, of all the people on earth, as his son put on flesh and entered into our world as a tiny baby, who would he trust his vulnerable baby Jesus with? And so we get some of these snapshots. So that's what we're going to look at today. I'm going to pray for us. We'll read the passage together, and then we'll dive in. Father, thank you that um, you did send your son, that he did put on flesh. Thank you for these reminders outside of just the typical Christmas season. Thank you that your son Jesus um, was born and and grew up and entered into different developmental stages and, and grew and matured and lived a perfect life because you knew we couldn't. Thank you that you sent your son in a, in a manner that is, is sacrificial for our behalf. We thank you that he paid that ultimate cost for our sin, even death on a cross. We thank you that he was raised again to life, that he pours out your spirit on your people. And so, Father, as you have done, would you continue to pour out your spirit on us? Would you speak through your word? Would you speak through me? Would you encourage us and challenge us and draw us closer to you? Lord, make us mindful of your voice and your presence here in this room, in this moment. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to pick up in Luke chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 21. If you have the Bible that's underneath your seat, we're going to be on page 857. The words will also be on the screen for you as well. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 21. This is what Luke tells us. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, him being Jesus, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it was written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul, too. And there was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. 
When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee and to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So a few things that we're going to notice. First, the kinds of people that God trusts his baby with are obedient to God's word. Now, even as I say this, I understand the cultural moment in which we find ourselves. Obedience can be a tricky word. Some of us have long histories in in contexts where obedience was used to manipulate. Obedience may have been used to coerce. There may have been spiritual abuse tied with the word obedience. Here's the deal. Just because culture has corrupted this word doesn't mean there isn't a value for us today. In the midst of this culture that says truth is relative, you do you, figure out what works for you, there is a way that God has designed life to function. There is a way that God calls us to live, and we are either obedient to that or disobedient to that. Now, is there, are there gray areas in life? Yes. Is there wiggle room? Yes. Does God call each of us in unique ways? Absolutely. And God gives us his word to help discern what is right and what is wrong. God gives us a community of believers that offer discernment to us to help us navigate tough choices. This assumption that we can just figure out everything on our own is really a false assumption. It really says that we know what's best, that we are the ultimate authority. And I don't know about you, but I've made too many mistakes in my own life to realize, like, if I'm the ultimate authority, we're on really shaky ground here. Hopefully there's something that's a bit more stable than my current desires and thoughts and fixations and false narratives that I believe in the moment. Hopefully there's something that endures that I can build my life upon. When it's fun and when it's exciting and also in the ordinary mundane things. Like, this passage is full of these moments, right? Just skimming through. Don't worry, I won't read it all to you again. I know that took a long time. But from the very beginning, on the eighth day, why on the eighth day was Jesus circumcised? Because that's what the law prescribed. Why was Jesus circumcised? Well, because he was part of the Jewish people, and that was what the law prescribed. That was a symbol of the covenant between Abraham and Yahweh. 
So Mary and Joseph are doing what every other Jewish couple did on the eighth day. It's not glamorous, it's not exciting, it's mundane, and they're obedient. They named Jesus Jesus because the angel said, you are to name him Jesus. I kind of wish, like, angels would do that for, like, did you guys have a hard time trying to figure out a name for your kids? Like, wouldn't it have just been easier if God was like, his name's Isaiah, his name's Will, his name's Mike, right? Like, that's way easier than the baby books and the list and the, like, oh, I knew this guy in high school who was kind of a jerk, so I don't want to name him that, or there's a lot of kids in our church named this, so I shouldn't name him that, right? They named him Jesus because the angel said, name him Jesus. They go to the temple for the time of purification. They offer the sacrifice because it's what the word of God said to do. They did the things that God said with obedience. Then we meet Simeon. We learn that he's upright. He follows the law. He follows the word of God. Then we meet Anna. At that moment, she hears from the spirit and goes and meets the child. She could have stayed home, right? Like, there's the reality. Anna could have slept in that day. Anna had been fasting and praying for years and years and years, but she listened and she obeyed. And she got to meet Jesus because of that. Mary and Joseph went to Jerusalem year after year. We're going to talk about later. They're not a wealthy couple. This trip cost money. But they were willing to put their finances where their faith is and be obedient in the simple things of life. Yes, it's great to look at Mary, this moment where the angel tells her she's gonna conceive a child, this big, glorious moment where she responds in obedience and faith and trust. But Mary also responds in obedience and faith and trust in the common, everyday, boring, mundane things of life. And God trusts them with his baby. We see the obedience of, of Jesus. This, this last section, this story of Jesus being in the temple with the, with the religious leaders and talking about the law and asking questions and they're amazed at his understanding, this is like challenging for me if I'm honest. Because I've been around church long enough to learn the caricature that like, oh, all of the Pharisees, they were all these horrible hypocrites and they're all bad guys. They're the villains of the story and they were so focused on the minutia of the law that they forgot that you know God is in the law, right? Like, we always paint them in this flat, one-dimensional caricature of they're the villains. But when Jesus says he has to be about his father's business, where is he? In the temple, where the presence of God dwells, with the religious leaders talking about the law. There's value in that. We like to jump ahead, right? Like, we like to do all the bells and whistles and like, well, you know, you know which authors I'm reading, the theologians that are influencing me who are talking about what God says in his word, and we forget that we can just read the word of God also. Am I saying that theologians are wrong? Am I saying we shouldn't listen to other, other voices? I'm not saying that. But I'm saying if we're only listening to someone else's interpretation of the word of God, and we're not consuming the word of God for ourselves, we may be missing out in a key area of obedience. Is it fun to wake up every morning and read scripture when you don't feel like it? No. Is it easier to hit the snooze button? Yes. Do I do that sometimes? Yes, I'm sorry as your pastor, I apologize. But there is something to not flashy, not exciting, everyday, common, boring obedience. Doing the right thing because it's the right thing. There's something to that 
that when God sees people, he trusts his baby with them. These people who are obedient, whether it was Mary and Joseph, Anna and Simeon, there is obedience, listening. I know that we have junior hires, high school kids, college students here. And I know that there is something, as a dad up here saying this, that's like already they're gonna be tuned out. But there is something to listening to godly parents who love you and care for you and wanna see what's best for you happen in your life. There's something about listening to the wisdom of our elders that we miss when we think we are the final authority. All right, obedience, you guys get it, be obedient. We notice that not only does God trust his people around people that are obedient, we have to pay attention to a small detail that we're gonna find in chapter two Uh, We'll do verses, let's start in verse 22 and we'll read a few verses together. When the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it was written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now we read over that and that's a small detail that's interesting. The original text prescribes a goat for most people. However, there is an exception made for those who are financially poor. And that's where the doves or young pigeons comes in. So this detail that Luke could have easily excluded, right? He could have just said they brought the the offering, they brought the sacrifice. They did the thing, they were obedient to the law, but he chooses to include, he chose to include what type of offering that gives us a clue that they were poor. They were ordinary and poor people. When God considered every family on earth in every specific time, God chose one time. God chose one place, his, his people Israel in this nation. He could have chosen any family, any woman in all of Israel to bear his child and he chose Mary who was betrothed to Joseph. Knowing that, you know, we talk about like Joseph was a carpenter, like more accurately in our context, he was probably like a a handyman, right? Don't think like fine craftsmen, think like, you know, the family has a husband like me who's not really good with like hammers and nails and those things and they need to call somebody to like, hey, can you come, come fix the thing, come like move the lamp that's hanging, that's not over the table, that needs to be over the kitchen table. Thank you, Adam. Mary and Joseph were poor. What does that mean for us? Like, how does that challenge us? And I'm curious as you hear that, I wonder how that challenges you. Because it challenges me. It challenges me when I think of like, okay, you know, like, God forbid, if we were to die, like, who would we trust our kids to? Like, well, we want somebody that's financially stable. And God's like, yeah, not, not so much. Not so much. There's a number of things about Jesus' family that challenge me and and who I am and my upbringing. I have a list that I'd like to share with you guys of some of these things that stood out as I was thinking about this. And it's going to pop up here on the screen, and it's going to talk about, yes, Jesus was Middle Eastern. In our context, there can be stereotypes and generalizations that are associated with that. Jesus had an ethnicity that's different from most of us. 
Jesus comes from a mixed race heritage. Think about some of the women in, in Jesus's genealogy. We'll get there in a few weeks. There were Canaanites. There was a Moabite. And a Hittite, I believe, was the, the fourth. Biracial or multi-ethnic is the fastest growing ethnic demographic in our country. And that's what Jesus looked like. Jesus came from a scandalous birth. He didn't have the pristine birth story, right? Like all of us pray that our, our children would have. That wasn't Jesus' story. His family was financially poor. Like not middle class. Definitely not wealthy. And that's who Jesus, or God, chose to send Jesus to. Jesus was a political refugee. We learn from the other gospels that Herod is so outraged by the birth of Jesus that he orders the, the, the slaughter of every baby boy two years old and younger. And so Mary and, and Joseph flee with Jesus to Egypt. He's a refugee fleeing for his life. His family, was, they were fleeing for their lives. Jesus' family were immigrants. They left Egypt and came back to Israel. And as I start looking through those, like I don't, I don't find myself in a lot of those categories. But when I read the gospel, I just assume, oh yeah, like me and Jesus, we're the same, we're the same. Everything that I value, Jesus would value. Every way that I think, every perception that I have, how I choose to spend my money, how I would choose to vote, how I would choose to parent, all of these things, that's probably the same way Jesus would think. <laughs> or maybe not. Or maybe there's a challenge for me here to have to admit maybe I don't always know best. Maybe my assumptions aren't always right. Maybe I can be challenged not only by Jesus, but by other people who are different than me, who have different life experiences, who may encounter God's word in a different perspective, that that could be a really good thing. So we talked about this a few weeks back, this challenge that Luke will continually bring to the forefronts of our minds, of this, this upside-down kingdom, right? The powerful will be thrown down, the poor will be lifted up, the marginalized will be brought in, those who are in the in-group will be pushed out. Jesus just confuses everything. And I told you guys a few weeks ago when we talked about this, this is the point where the pastor says, but don't worry, here, let me let you off the hook. I'm not gonna do it because Luke doesn't do it. And I'm not just saying you guys need to figure this out. We need to figure this out together. There is something that God has for us in those who are different. Whether that's ethnically, whether it's financially, socioeconomically, different experiences, different gender, whatever the thing is, there is something that God has for us there. I would hate for us to miss that. All right, so God trusts his little baby boy with, with people who are obedient, with people who are ordinary and poor, and finally with people who are full of the Spirit, with people who are full of the Spirit. We see the Spirit come upon Mary a few weeks ago. We see Simeon in this passage, full of the Spirit. The Spirit has revealed to him who Jesus is and will be. The Spirit has revealed to Simeon that he will see the promised one, the Messiah who will save God's people before he dies, and he listens to the Spirit. 
Like, I wonder what that moment was like, right? Jesus wasn't the only baby, you know, in the temple in this situation, right? Like, every baby had to come. They would do the purification rites, like all the things. But on this day, I wonder what that prompting was like in him when he saw the couple, when he saw the baby, if he knew, like, that's, that's the one, Somehow the Spirit spoke to him, and he had enough courage, right? Like, he didn't feel like the awkward, like, hey, um, excuse me, do you mind if I tell you the future of your child? Like, that, that would be, like, I would feel awkward doing I don't know, maybe you guys would feel comfortable doing that, but I would feel a little awkward doing that, but he did that. And I love the language Luke says at that very moment, Anna is implied, hears from the Spirit, this is the baby, and she rejoices, she goes up and meets that little baby, probably pinching the little chubby cheeks, picking him up, giving him a squeeze, because they're full of the Spirit and they listen to the Spirit. And we'll see this throughout Luke's gospel. Where Jesus goes, we find the Spirit. Where Jesus is present, he's bringing the Spirit in. Luke's other book, Acts, gives us this promise that when the Spirit comes upon us, we receive power. And I know this can get like a little unsettling, right? Like where are we going with all the spirit talk, right? Like are we changing our theological conviction? No, 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 no. This, this is what we're saying. The spirit is from God, part of the Trinity. If we want God, then that means we want the spirit. Where it says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now, if you're not interested in freedom, that's, total, that's your choice. I don't know that many people that aren't interested in freedom. I don't know that many people that are like, man, this burden that I've been carrying for a long time that is literally killing me, I would love to keep carrying that. Is that not what we long for? We think about the fruit of the Spirit. I think, I, this was like wildly convicting this morning as I was thinking through this. In my parenting, I would love to have more love, joy, peace, patience, <laughs> kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithful, right? Self-control. In my marriage, you know what I would love to have? Love, joy, patience. As an employee at your job, would you love to have more? As a neighbor, as a friend, as a son, as a daughter, as a sister, as a brother, as somebody who would like to display what Jesus is like to others, would not, wouldn't we want to have more of these things, these character traits, the fruit of his spirit that come from his spirit, not from working harder or listening to the right podcast, or reading the right book, or giving up the right thing for Lent, please give some, you know, do the whole Lent thing, we're not saying don't do that, but not just to do the thing, to experience the freedom that comes from the Spirit. And now here's the tricky part, it would be a whole lot easier if we could just prescribe, like, read these four passages, turn around three times, and then do 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 like there's the Spirit. That's not how it works. But this is what we know from Scripture. Our God is a good father who, when we ask him, gives us good gifts. If we ask for bread, he will not give us a stone. If we ask for a fish, he will not give us a serpent. And so we're going to take time in our service now to ask. Now, there's 
plenty of people in this. There's too many people for me to know what you need to ask for, so I cannot prescribe this for you. But I can make space for us to listen. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to listen. I'll ask the Spirit to speak to us. There's no magic words, and we're just going to listen to hear what he says. Then we're going to have an opportunity after we listen first to respond. And we'll lead us, I'll lead us in that time as well. For now, Father, you are, you are the good Father. You give us good gifts, and so here we are with, with hearts open, with our hands open, with our minds open to hear your voice. We long to hear from you, and you are a God who speaks. So would you speak to us? Would you draw to our minds the areas that, that need to hear from your spirit? Father, maybe today someone needs to receive your spirit for the first time. Lord, would you speak in those ways? Maybe for some of us we are so exhausted and we long for the freedom that comes from your spirit. Lord, would you begin to do that work? We give you these next few moments and, and ask that you would speak. Jesus, we thank you for being Emmanuel, God, with us. We thank you that you still speak, that you still love us, that you still know us, that you knit us together in our mother's womb, that you know every hair on our head, Lord. You've numbered our days. You've appointed the places where we will go, the times that we'll live. You're a God who desires that none would perish. Jesus, you are a savior who came to bring abundant life. We ask that you would continue to draw us into your presence, continue to draw us into your freedom. Thank you for being gentle with us, for being a good father. We pray this in your name. Amen. And so, as we move forward, we, we just have time to pray. And for some of us, what that's going to look like is you're going to sit down quietly and you're going to listen to the voice of the Spirit, maybe for the first time or maybe for the first time in a long time. And maybe that's going to take some practice, but you're going to listen. For others, you have been alone, you've been isolated, you've been listening in isolation long enough, and you're going to have the courage to ask the people around you to pray for you. 
For others, you already have a sense. God gave you a word, an image, a passage with somebody in this room in mind or somebody that you know. Take out your phone, text them, get up, move across the room and go speak that to the person. You may be wrong, it's okay. It's a safe place here, we're all nice. We're gonna try it. For others, this is gonna be challenging. We're gonna invite you to come forward. We have a prayer team that's gonna come up to the front here, off to the side, and they would love to pray for you. They would love to lay hands on you. This is not some kind of like magic formula. This is just a symbol of what God's people have been doing for years and years and years and generations and generations around the world. Now, typically this is like, you know, the moment where like, if you're accepting Jesus for the first time, or if you want this thing, or if you want that thing, come forward. What we're saying is, we want what the Spirit has. So if you want somebody to lovingly put their hand on your shoulder and pray for you for whatever you need, we invite you to come forward. We know this is a little bit different than our norm, and we're okay with that. Because we feel like God has been doing something here, calling us in new ways and challenging us to new things. So if we continue to do the same things and expect new results, that may not work out well. Jesus says something about wine and wineskins. You can look that up. So we're going to invite you to pray quietly by yourself, to pray with one another, or to come forward and receive prayer from the prayer team. Beth's going to lead us in, in music and continue our service. <laughs> 